Storymakers. I'm Angie Powers. I'm Elizabeth Stark. And, and this, this is Storymakers Story Show. Show. It's Storymakers Show Super Tuesday Edition. Super. Super Tuesday. Tuesday. Edition. <laughs> we, re- we rehearsed that so much. Right. Right. Well, today we're going to have an interesting look at narrative and politics. What's the story? Politicians. And before we do that, what are you working on? Well, I am laboring away. So I made something like 438 notes on my own second quarter of my book. So now I'm going through and being like, who is this very picky editor? But anyway, so I'm going through and addressing the changes that I suggested to myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's what I'm doing. And it takes just way longer than you'd think. So I go sit for like hours and skip exercise and things. None of it helps, but you know, it's still fun. Right on. That's our door blowing in the wind. Sound effects. Not the answer. What are you working on? (laughs) (laughs) I am working on a chocolate high. Um, I am working on, I'm still doing a lot of stuff in the kids' classroom. So I've been doing a lot of that, learning a lot of math, which is very, very fun. And right now we're both continuing to work for getting the dailydosedeal.com kind of up and running and getting that dailydosedeal.com. Yes. So those are the kind of major projects. So first I'm doing some of the kind of back end stuff, but then I'll be doing some content development for that as well. And very luckily, I've been doing some copywriting for the Oakland Zoo. So that's been exciting. Oh, the Oakland Zoo. Yes. Well, um, it's been very interesting to be launching the Daily Dose deal because it's forcing me to think about politics and story in a very specific way. But that's not really our way in to today's episode, though it may come up again. Well, I think it's part and parcel. Why don't you talk about because this was really your thought. Well, I think narrative is always used in persuasion. Whenever you're doing some kind of effective persuasion, there's a story. Either the story is the hopes and dreams of your clients when you're trying to sell them, like, toenail fungus removal, right? Like, <laughs> your toes could not look like this anymore, right? And it's and so if it's your a toes story. didn't look like this, then who right. knows what might happen to your life? By definition, if your toes looked different, you would be somehow... It would be like winning the lottery. And, and really, I think what we're trying to do is remove a certain kind of toenail fungus. <laughs> but what I'm saying is when I... So a while ago, George Lakoff wrote a couple of different books, one of which I read and I can't actually remember the title of right now. But... It might be in the show notes. It will definitely be in the show notes. But one of the things he talked about was how, you know, you, you create this frame, right? So the meaning of, of individual words are... Is, is the meaning is built in the context in which it exists, right? So the most famous probably example is uh, estate tax, right? So you introduce the idea that we're going to tax the gift a person who is death, dying. Death tax. Well, death, death tax is what Republicans right. call it. And estate tax is what mm-hmm. um, I think early efforts at doing sort of the New Deal called it, Mm. right? So as we see these things sort of coming in, the way you describe it is going to really impact the way we understand it because that context tells a story. Mm -hmm. So when we look at our candidates and we look at 
who we're going to vote for or what matters to us. They're all telling a story. Absolutely. And the story is something that taps into to our own human drive for narrative. And... Well, and then they're telling stories. They're telling stories about themselves. They're telling stories about each other. They're telling stories about us. And other people are then telling stories about them. So there are a lot of competing stories. But, you know, if we go back to our favorite um, Lindsay Doran and her rules. Which we talked about last week. mm -hmm, You could apply that same set of rules to how politicians are presenting themselves. (laughs) You have to say them again. So the rules are... First, it must be amusing and arresting to the drunk. So this is like why you would invest in a particular story to develop it. And I think first out of the gate, no one would disagree that a that a milk toast politician isn't going to be one that's hugely successful in the same way. That's a New Deal word. If there ever was one, milk toast. <laughs> right? Not a green New Deal, just a gray, a gray New Deal. Gray New Deal. <laughs> so you have to stand out from the crowd in some way. Right. And so for better or worse, all of the politicians engage in that, whether it's by hyperbole, whether it's by straight up lying, um, whether it's any Wait, of those Are you saying Biden are, wasn't arrested on the way to Mandela and just left it out of his memoir and all, all news reports? I am not even remotely qualified to tell someone what really happened in their life. Like, it's just not my could not confirm that. But I think that that's a piece, right? What is the stuff that will capture people's attention? And currently we have a huge amount of fear being that trigger, right? So we're using, we have politicians who are using fear and fear is super effective. The second is part of the, her story idea is that it, it needs to tell you something about how you should be, right? How I, we, I'm gonna circle back for a minute to the drunk thing because mm-hmm. what you're saying is it can't be subtle. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you have to ha- you have to sort of stand out in some way. And I think like with Buttigieg, he had this intersection, like this juxtaposition. He was a soldier and he was gay. And for some people that was like baffling. And I was like, have you never seen people like, I mean, there's a whole multiple bars. The just military like, is what our country does with its children that it doesn't know what to do with. <laughs> Basically. But I mean, like how many gay bars actually are military themed and peopled by people formerly in the military. So, but that was something that made him differentiated. We use that word differentiated, but what we really mean is, is that they stick out. We have a sense of who they are. They grab our attention. The next one is like sort of how we should be in the world, right? And so when they talk to us about what's going wrong in the world or what's going right in the world or what they're promising, then that's sort of them talking about what, you know, how we should be in the world as an individual. So, um, you know, when we have that phrase, make America great again, right? It's a, it's a hideous phrase, but for some people, because, I mean, there's so many problems with it, but anyway, um, if you were to use Lakoff, embedded in that statement is the phrase that it's not currently great. Mm. And I would argue that the people who are like, yep, it's not currently great, are not actually the people who have the most reason, always, to feel like America is not great. Hmm. Meaning that the the people who don't always uh, feel attached to that aren't, I'm just saying like... (laughs) What are you saying? I'm just, I think what I'm trying to say is that, that that statement 
is geared towards a particular audience, mm-hmm. right? Apparently, it's old people. But no, you think? I think it's geared towards making people feel. Well, I'm going to go off on this whole thing about sort of the history of victimization and masculinity. Right, let's okay. We we're going to skip that, but <laughs> run it through in your own head. <laughs> okay, back. We're back to story, narrative, right, and politics. So anyway, the, for her, how we should be in the world, and implicit in, mm-hmm. I think that phrase, make America great again, along with xenophobic language, um, how we should be in the world talks about, I think, directly to a group of people who feel threatened in their social status. Mm-hmm. And so it isn't make America great again, it's put yourself back on top. Right. right. It's, it's definitely right. like, that's the implied story. And that's the sort of context that you should be in a particular position relative to other people. And that's the Lindsay Doran, like the second. <laughs> She's like, wow, that's so not what I ever meant. But right. Yes, got right. it. So, so this is like, you know, we're building propaganda. Right. And then the third part of the story is how does the world work? This, what the story shows you is how the world works. Right. And in how the, the world should work? Nope. How the world works. What's the second one? How we should be in the world. How we should be there. That's the sort of moral one. Mm -hmm. And then how the world works is sort of the truth one. Right. And so what I would say is implied in how the world works is that the world is uh, might makes right. So a worldview implied in make America great again. uh, The way that that world works is that by being stronger, by being aggressive, by being disrespectful to other people, you will achieve what is appropriately yours. And I think that's the story embedded in the whole Trump campaign, right? So when we look at the Democratic primaries right now, everybody has a story that I think can match to each of those rules, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So Bernie Sanders. Yes. Let's pick it apart. So Bernie Sanders um, is... You know, he's got a Brooklyn accent. He stands out from the long WASP history of our, you know, presidential candidates, right? It was somebody, I saw something on Facebook today that said something about, you know, we've drifted so far to the right that, like, that a Vermont grandpa who wants things to be a little better for people is, like, seen as Joseph Stalin. Well, that's... There you go. It's a, it's a yeah. comprehensible to the drunk. <laughs> it is comprehensible to the drunk. Yeah, which is sort of the level of scrolling. Right. Yeah. All right. But anyway, so there we go. We've got this person. Okay. And so then we have this person who's the second is like, how should we be in the world? So what do you think, Bernie Sanders, how we should be in the world? Well, I, I, yeah, I, you go, you go. Well, I think that he would argue that... Um, how we should be in the world is uh, that we care for one another, right? As opposed to getting what we can be, and might makes right, his story is we care for one another. Right. We educate our children, our youth. We give health care to our citizens and non-citizens. It's the, the things we want in the world are best gotten by sharing. Right. right? He Nowhere in his story is like, Here's what you have to give up in order to get to this good place. Like in Trump's thing, nowhere does he say you have to give up having a soul to be following a particular 
approach, right? You're in danger. You need to protect yourself. I think there's some overlap in some of that language, right? How so? Well, I think the overlap between those two messages are really to say, um, for some people, you are an outsider. You are wrongly taken advantage of by a system. And Trump would say, your rights are being taken away. You're an individual. You have- I don't even know about rights. I'm not even sure, you know, if rights well, are quite the discount. But your, your sort of, your right, maybe, mm-hmm. your, your individual. Well, I think for him, it's really your social status. Right. So, but it's so, it's so non-universal, the rights. They're not civil well, rights or human rights. Or it's, it's, it's the implied social ci- status. Even citizen rights, really, or, you know, America, it's just, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, and I think that Bernie Sanders is looking at corporations in the way that Trump looks at the government. So I do think there's a little bit of a fear-based overlap, right? When you look at the messaging that Barack Obama had, like, he, at that moment... he stole his from Bob the Builder. (laughs) Can we do it? Can we fix it? Yes, we can. Can we... Yes, that was it. Can we fix it? I love him. I love Obama. He just happened to be speaking at the time that Bob the Builder was also speaking a great deal in our house. Yes. And it's just interesting when you look at the stories, right? The stories, when when Barack Obama was running, it was actually just before the big crash, Mm -hmm. right? So we get Bush handing off a dilapidated economy, right? But Obama's messaging wasn't about fear. Right. Essentially, it was not. It was about hope. It was about focusing on what can we do. And at that moment, we were in a place where we could focus on that. And it's interesting to look at culturally where you are and what 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 a society can respond to in a given moment. So that's where I think there's a little bit of overlap. Um, And I think that, um, you know, we definitely think that, you know, when we get to the third piece, how does the world work, right? So, you know, what do you think Bernie Sanders thinks is the way the world works? What is in his messaging? Well, the world works best if we band together and create systems that support everybody, that we rise mm-hmm. together, mm-hmm. and if and the world works least if some have an inordinate, uh, advantage over others. Right. Something like that. Yeah. So you can just see, though, that they, so now we have the, these campaigns. And this is what platforms. I'm curious about, because you began with those two. Mm-hmm. And perhaps, you know, and you have perhaps a critique of the ways in which they overlap or just a commentary that might have to, to may have more to do with story than yes. politics. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But would you say that they have the clearest story, Lindsay Doran style? Well, I think there's I think they do, probably. And I think that's part of the reason people are responding in certain ways. The truth is, 
you know, I realized, like, part of the reason that I was so intrigued with Elizabeth Warren's story was that she did not start where she is now. That is, she had a moment of learning, mm. right? So her, her story is about having been um, in a situation where she was supporting something, and because she was a person who was going to learn more, she investigated, she learned more, she educated herself, and in doing so, was able to say, you know what, the thing that I thought was wrong. And that, I think, is really interesting, but it's not one that a lot of people want for some reason. But it's the structure of story. Absolutely. So we want and to so, read about it. Yeah. No, I think that if, you know, but I think as a candidate, it's sort her of message isn't just that. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, like she's talking original movies here, Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. and where, where uh, Sanders is Obi-Wan Kenobi. But even Obi-Wan Kenobi had a growth window. Did he? Yeah. How, but he was he was always a Jedi. Mm, well, I mean, you missed all of the ones in the early 2000s. I didn't miss all. Anyway. <laughs> but I, what I think I'm trying to sort of get to is if you look at her story, if you look at Klobuchar, if you look at Buttigieg, if you look at um, almost any of them. It's like, how is their story really resonating with people? Mm-hmm. And I think that you also have this whole other system of power relationships. So if you could have two equally compelling stories, the person who is more um, marginalized on some level is not going to get the same traction as people who are basically born into a certain amount of privilege, mm-hmm. story to story. So I think, well, you why? Know, because, I mean, Hollywood still makes films where people are like, I don't know if we can have a female be the person who carries the film because women will go see, you know, films with men as the lead characters, but men won't go see films with women as the lead character. And so I think... And just to be clear, the critique is of that assumption. Yes. Yeah, And yeah. not of the people maligned in it. Right. No, I appreciate that. I would not want someone to think that I was saying... Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I just it's just that I think it's so... People kind of so are so drawn to those sweeping generalizations, mm-hmm. especially about gender, that, that hearing it in passing, they might glom onto the generalization and miss the critique of it. So that's why, why I wanted to point it out. Right. Flow of the audio. Right. Um, and I think that like, when you look at the stories, like when Barack Obama was talking about hope, he was definitely, you know, we were fairly, we'd been in the Afghanistan and Iraq war for a while, but not so long. Yeah, 9-11 was fresh in our memories. So we were in a place culturally as a, as a country where we were ready to do something that felt more hopeful. Right. I think... Post-Trump elections, we have a lot of grief and fear. And so if you have people in that state, what is the story that they can hear? Mm. That's what we're going to find out. (laughs) Today on Tuesday. And so let's just wrap up this element of our discussion with a consideration 
of what we can learn either as politicians or as writers about story based on this discussion? Well, I think that as citizens, we get to pull apart the things that we're told and ask ourselves, like, what, what is the story behind these images? What is it that uh, I'm responding to? Because in some cases, our own biases are going to respond without our awareness. And so we end up sort of buying into a story without really even knowing that we're buying into repeating bias and prejudice. Here's one thing I would like to propose is I would like to propose that people not post articles they haven't read just because the headline and the picture say something they agree with. That seems fair. I'm willing to do that. I'm not on social media, but I am <laughs> really willing not to do that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and I was thinking about the stakes. You know, I was mm -hmm. thinking I am pretty fired up about this election and uh, and I think, you know, that there are just these multiple levels of, of what's at stake here mm -hmm. in terms of, you know, Trump versus whomever. Mm -hmm. And then amongst the whomevers, the, the real and crucial differences in policy in terms of, for me, climate mm -hmm. emergency. Right. And and the kind of the fact that we can't sort of just go for um, somebody that we hope will appeal to middle America. Um, we, right. need to, we need to appeal to something else. So and here's we are the also stories. telling ourselves, right, a story that is, uh, like it's urgent that we get someone who understands the depth of the climate challenge right now. But if and they even believe in science, that'll be just a big step. Huge step forward. And again, Sunshine Movement has that wonderful, Sunrise. and again, Sunrise, sorry. Sunrise has that wonderful video talking about, like, here's a plan. Like, we can do this, and we can do this. And, you know, even if the candidate that we hope will win doesn't win, it actually doesn't mean the story's over. And so that's the other thing, is sometimes when we get into the situation and we start feeling hopeless, it's the story of it's over if X, Right. Mm -hmm. So that's sort of our limiting belief. If you want to take it back, what is our limiting belief? If my candidate doesn't make it, what happens then? And we as citizens have power. So don't let anybody tell you we don't. Yeah. And we as consumers have power. So don't let anyone tell you you don't. And I think that. And as writers, yeah. I just want to encourage people. There is a huge uh, effective sort of rhetorical strategy on the right that has been well kind of put into place. And it's, and I think that the well, that's left... one of the things Lakoff talks about is that if you don't control the frame, then you don't control the story. Yeah. So I think that there's a vital place for writers on the left right now. Mm -hmm. um, and, and rather than end this, this piece of our podcast with the end, we're going to throw it to you with once upon a time and see where you go. Okay, so do you want to do Steal This? Yes, it is time for Steal This. Professional poet. <laughs> Steal. And amateur <laughs> Amateur politicians borrow. borrow. Professional, Professional politicians, politicians steal. <laughs> what have you come across in your wanderings and your readings that you would like to take and make your own? You know, I really 
it's so funny when we rephrased that. I just remembered that thing that was going around about putting a thing on the California ballot that would say you had to wear a sponsorship patch on your clothing every time you went to work if you were a politician and were receiving oh, money that would be in the amazing. same way NASCAR has to, right? <laughs> so I I want to do that. Like, can we bring that one back? Can we bring back, show us who's paying your actual expenses? All right, look at you. Bring out Fired the up. bring out the subtext. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, I am reading "Girl, Woman, Other," um, which is the which was the Man Booker co prize with the with the Margaret At- alongside Margaret Atwood, and um, it's written in verse, but not not rhyming, and um, and and it's not. Um, it's not uh, it's not distracting at all, actually. It's so interesting. So I'm thinking, what is she up to there? But at the same time, when I saw that, because I didn't really see, I'd read a lot about the book, and for whatever reason, I had not focused in on or picked up on that. And um, I don't know why. Maybe I just, I don't know. But anyway, I went into the bookstore and was looking at it, and that's when I realized, oh, this is written in verse. Mm-hmm. It's really it was kind of exciting. Um, there's a Vikram Seth book called The Golden Gate, which is written in rhyming verse, no oh, less, which I actually also really loved. So um, one of the things that this book is helping me do is remember to read poetry like it's prose in the sense of letting the rhythms and the line breaks do their work kind of more unconsciously and really mm-hmm. allowing myself to immerse myself in the story and the meaning. Um, yeah, so I, I'm kind of bringing this up, but I, I don't know exactly what I want to steal, um, except just, you know, risk taking, innovation, j- combining unlike terms. <laughs> um, and, uh, and just remembering, you know, you can do whatever you damn well please as long as it works. And that is Girl, Woman, Other by Bernardine Avaristo. Bernardine Evaristo and I heard an interview with her and it was great too. So And so with that, we want to wish everyone a very, very productive Super, Super Tuesday. Tuesday. And remember to vote. <laughs> <laughs>